Well, for some weeks now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit and the moving of the Holy Spirit. You ready to go further into this tonight? And we're not just wanting to talk about it. What are we desiring to see? To have more. Now, it's not like we don't have, you know, the Spirit of God's been moving. But we desire that he be able to move completely, freely in our lives in every way and to the fullest extent and degree. We want the Spirit of God to find us easy to work with. Right? Fully cooperative. Yielded to him. So turn to Genesis, please. Genesis 1. And then also, we'll be going to... uh, 1 Corinthians. Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Y'all believe in God with me tonight? It's not just all up to me, you know. We have to believe God together. So let's pray and release faith further. Father, we thank you. Everything you've done for us this week. You've been so good to us. Us being here tonight. Having health and brightness of mind and provision is proof of your love and faithfulness. Our eyes are on you. Teach us about the true moving of your Holy Spirit. What we don't know, show us. Answer questions. and Reveal to us what we've not understood. What you've shown us but we didn't put into practice, forgive us and show us again. Show us how to do it. And we purpose not to be hearers only, but by your grace, we are and shall be doers. And we know as we live and walk in you and do what you say, we will be blessed because you're so faithful to watch over your word and perform it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. How did the earth get here? Hmm? So many people, you know, are confused about this. So many theories and ideas. How did it get here? This planet. How did it get here? God created it. You don't have to understand that. Just believe it. Right? And you know, you can't really be a Christian and not believe that. Because you'll see that that ties into other things. If you don't believe he created the heavens and earth, then you're not going to believe that Jesus is virgin born. You're not going, you just don't believe in miracles. And so you're not a Christian. Somebody said, boy, that's strong, Brother Keith. Well, it's a fact. Everybody that calls himself a Christian is not a Christian. Jesus said, you must be born again. That's a miracle. How does that miracle happen in your life? You believe in miracles. You believe that God is real, that he created the heavens and the earth. You believe that Jesus came, born of a virgin, died on the cross. You believe he was raised from the dead. That's a miracle. Well, I'm not sure about virgin birth. I mean, raised from the dead, but I'm a Christian. I'm an American, so I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Some people think, well, you know, I'm born in America. I'm a Christian. No, being an American doesn't make you a Christian. Well, my parents were Christians. Well, good for them, but that don't make you one. (laughs) How do you become a Christian? You must be born again, right? That's a miracle. 
And how did you get there? You believed God raised Jesus from the dead and confessed him as Lord with your mouth. That's a miracle. Right? Christianity is miracles. Front, center, and back. Right? And we believe in miracles. We believe in things we can't explain. We believe in things we don't understand. We believe a God who's so much bigger than us. Right? Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true and not real. He went on to say, verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God, who? The Spirit of God did what? He moved upon the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. Before the word was spoken, the creative word, we see the Spirit of God, as we look this up, hovering over the face of the deep. Well, why was he there? Why was he hovering? Ready for the speaking of the word. Ready to manifest the word. Can you say amen? The Spirit of God, does he still move today? Yes, he does. And that's what this series is about, is of the moving of the Spirit, understanding His moving, learning to cooperate with Him, not trying to get Him to cooperate with us. Right? A lot of people do. A whole lot of people do. You know, Lord, help me do this. Help me do this. Help me do this. Well, you want to find out if you should be doing it first. Because the Spirit of God is not obligated to help you or I. You know, for instance, tonight, the Holy Ghost is not obligated to anoint me to teach something that I ought not even be teaching. And I could get frustrated. Right? And go, Lord, why aren't you helping me? I studied all day and night. So? (laughs) If it ain't right, it ain't right. And it won't be anointed. Did you hear me? And the same thing happens with people's entire life. You know, if God didn't call you to pastor, then the Holy Ghost is not going to anoint you to pastor. I don't care how many times you try to pastor. I've seen people just get so frustrated. Well, Lord, I'm serving you. I'm giving you everything I've got. And you won't help me pastor this church. Did he tell you to do it? Well, I'm giving my life for him. No, you decided what you're going to do and you're trying to get him to help you do it. And he won't. He's not going to anoint you to get out of the will of God. And out of the plan of God. Because everybody's not supposed to pastor. Yet everybody's got a place. Everybody's supposed to be doing something in the kingdom of God. How many believe it's important that you find your place? And then once you do, don't let the devil get you out of it. Stay in your place. Right? Stay in your place. Go to our other scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, please. The Spirit of God moves. He moves. Well, I'm not quite through with that, am I? Frustration. Anybody ever experienced any? Frustration. 
Frustration is what you get into when you're bucking against the will of God. You remember what the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, he appeared to Saul, who later became known as Paul. Remember that? Remember what he told him, among other things? He said, it's hard for you kicking against the pricks. Right? What did that mean? Well, what had Saul been doing? He was trying to believe God to help him to stamp out this cult called Christianity. He was. He was sincere. He was, you know, according to the law of Pharisee, he was one of the most committed, one of the most dedicated men. Well, you can see why God tapped him on the shoulder. Right? Because just as gung-ho as he was trying to stamp out the church, he was more so building the church. Right? And some of the worst sinners you know of would make dandy Christians. (laughs) Because when they sin, brother, they sin. They don't play with it. Right? And serving God, they'd do the same thing. How many know the Lord does not like lukewarm? Right? What did he say? I would, you were what? Surely he wouldn't rather you be cold than warm. Surely warm's better than cold. What did he say? I'd rather you're hot or cold. What? Don't play with it. In or out. Do it or don't. Now you know something I do not care for. A lot of your modern translations are not really translations. They're paraphrases. And I think it's dangerous because a lot of people use them and they read them and they think it's the word. And it's not. Be very watchful what translations you read. And see, is it a translation? Because even though it's called a translation, it's the author's idea what they think it means. And one thing you'll see in a lot of these new ones is the word try. Try to do this. Try to do that. It's not in the Bible. Did you hear me? So when you see that in some of these modern translations, it says try to do this or try to do that. You go look it up and see what I'm talking about. That word try is not there. First of all, why would the Lord tell you to try? He would know whether you could do it or not. Right? (laughs) He's not going to tell you to do something that you might not be able to do. So, no, it ain't try. Do it. Right? Do it. It's not try walk in love. Walk in love. Right? Try to serve God. Serve God. Do it. But you have to, you know, commit. So here in 1 Corinthians 2, let's go on with this. No, no, I didn't finish, did I? Frustration. There are so many frustrated Christians. And there are so many that have tried to do different things in ministry. And it was not a success. And there's so many reasons why they gave. So-and-so stabbed them in the back. So-and-so didn't help them. The people didn't come support them. So-and-so didn't give. So-and-so didn't this and that. Listen, God is big enough to make it go. Did you hear me? Even if people don't step up, people that should do some things, even if they don't do them, the whole plan of God is not resting on two or three people. Did you hear me now? 
And if they won't obey, he'll let it go as long as he can because he doesn't want them to miss the blessing. But when it gets to the critical point, he'll use somebody else. And the job will get done. But these people that should have obeyed will miss the blessing. And these people will get double blessing. And man, that's something I have seen over the last several decades. The same people keep getting used again and again and again. And sometimes it's because other people didn't obey. But how many want to be one of God's go-to guys? You know what I mean by that? Even if somebody else won't do it, you're always ready. Right? And you'll do anything with anything, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Right? But if you are, have been frustrated, why won't the Lord help me with this? Don't just keep butting your head against the wall. You gotta back off and look. Am I supposed to be doing this? Well, I thought I was. Well, did you miss it? You got to be honest with yourself. Cause the Lord's not obligated to help you do something that He didn't direct you to do. And didn't call you to do. And if you've been frustrated, 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 it's not because you're doing the will of God. Did you hear me now? Because in the will of God, there's peace. I didn't say everything was always real easy, but even in the tough stuff, you got grace. And you got the confidence that I'm in the will of God. I'm doing what I should do. Right? And you're not frustrated, frustrated, frustrated. Frustration. Don't blame it on God. Get to prayer. If you need to, miss a meal or two. Get serious with God. And be willing to admit that you missed it. That you called yourself. You imagined that you're going to have this ministry. Or maybe somebody prophesied to you and they missed it. Did you hear me? And you followed them. So uh, don't blame God for being frustrated. Because serving God is not a hard, hard road. Jesus said, come to me. Right? All ye that are heavy loaded. What? And I'm going to add to your load. No. What did he say? I will give you rest. He said, my yoke is easy. And my burden will frustrate you. No, no, light, light, easy. Do you hear that now? That's when you're doing the will of God. That's the way it'll be. You're graced, you're blessed, not frustrated. So many times people just decide they're going to do something. And then they, you know, get aggravated because God didn't help them do it. But he never called them to do it to start with. He never told them to do it. And somebody said, yeah, but it's a good thing. A good thing is not direction. Yeah, but it's so needed, Brother Keith. A need is not direction. Yeah, but it was such a great opportunity, Brother Keith. An opportunity is not direction. Are you with me now? Don't be led by needs or opportunities or good things. You're one person. Limited amount of time. Short life. Even if you lived a hundred plus, it's a brief thing. And so you're not supposed to do everything. There are specific things, specific places you're supposed to be, specific things you're supposed to be hooked up with, specific things you're supposed to help. Not everything in the whole world. You can't. Right? 
And when you get hooked in where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, you'll begin to sense that grace. You'll begin to sense that peace. You'll begin to sense that help. And even when there's challenges, there's grace to come through it. Can you say amen? And you don't live frustrated. You see uh, husbands and wives. Just live year after year frustrated. And friends and employers and employees trying to change somebody. Well, Lord, why don't you help me? Maybe he doesn't want them to be like you want them to be. See, people in their mind, they decide how they're supposed to be. And that's just their idea. And they're frustrated because God won't change them. He won't make them this way or that way. (laughs) And you're going year after year frustrated. Frustrated. Frustrated is not the will of God. Say that out loud. It's not the will of God. When you're frustrated day after day, you're doing something wrong. You're trying to push something that God's not in. Trying to make something happen that's not right. Because you're supposed to live day after day with joy, peace, satisfaction, freedom, victory. Life's too short. Be frustrated half of your time. You know, there was a famous ball player, I forget his name. They asked him about something, his philosophy on something. He said this, I wrote it down, I thought it was excellent. They're still talking about worry. And he said, nah. He said, I don't worry about things that uh, I can do anything about. And I don't worry about things I can't do anything about. They said, huh? (laughs) If you don't worry about things you can do something about, nor do you worry about things you can't do anything about, then you just don't worry. (laughs) Right? He said, I don't worry about things I can do something about because I can do something about them. And he said, and I don't worry about things I can't do anything about because I can't do anything about. It's talking about a man that's not frustrated. <laughs> First Corinthians 2. First Corinthians 2 and 4. Frustrated. What do I do about it, Brother Keith? Seems like I've been frustrated all my life. I know. God's talking to you. What do I do? Well, pride is what got you there. Stubbornness. Pushing for your own way. Thinking you know more than other people do. Thinking you already knew what God wanted. Assuming that His will was yours. Did you hear me? And the thing that kept you in frustration year after year is too proud to admit that you're wrong. Too proud to admit that you've wasted so much time being frustrated when you could have been happy enjoying life. That you've thought wrong. That you've been trying to make things happen that wasn't the will of God. That you've been trying to do something that you wasn't called to do. Wasn't anointed to do. So what do you do? Well, I've said it, but let's say it another way. You've got to get before God and you've got to humble yourself and you've got to say, Lord, show me where I've missed it. Help me. And I mean, be serious about it and say, Lord, I am willing to do anything 
no matter how menial it may seem, no matter how little it might be in your eyes, I am willing to do anything. Show me. And not have, you know, all these visions of grandeur about how great you're supposed to be and how great your ministry is supposed to be. That's what messes people up. You've got to be willing to do what might be considered menial things and be faithful in the small thing. Then you'll be increased and promoted. But see, people don't want to do that. They, they don't want to prove their self. They don't want to be proven faithful in small things. They want to jump over that to the big thing. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. You've got to be faithful. Right? With the small thing. And prove yourself faithful. Right? Well, that job's beneath me. So you've been frustrated and broke. And a burden to other people. When you could have been working. Did you hear me? No, no, I'm a prophet. I got a big call on my life. So you wouldn't help with the small things. And so you got no calls. And you got no opportunity. And you haven't been exercising. Listen to me. Just because you're called to something doesn't mean you can operate there. A call and being able to stand there and operate there, two very different things. You might have a call on your life from when you were born or from when you were born again. But you've got to be trained and taught and you've got to develop over years. Did you hear me? Then you're able to operate there. Don't confuse a call for ability. So don't despise the small thing. Can you say amen then? Don't despise the little job. Don't despise the small place. You got to be proven faithful in the small thing. How many remember in Timothy and Titus we have requirements and qualifications for deacons and servants and pastors and bishops and overseers and one of the things it says repeatedly let them first be proven how you want to know how good somebody would be with a bigger job give them a little one right if they mess up that then they don't qualify for the next thing if that's beneath them no no you know, Brother Hagin, my father in the faith, he said several ministers, as the Lord blessed him and promoted him, he pastored little small churches and he went and ministered in little small churches and, and stayed busy all the time. But over the years, his ministry just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he said, uh, eventually people he started out with, they're sitting at home, they haven't developed, they're doing nothing. And he'd tell them once in a while, you know, well, there's a job in the helps ministry over here with this one. They said, well, no, no, that's not really my call. They said, but they said, now if you hear something big, you know, if you hear of a big church looking for, well, they go decade after decade doing nothing. Well, they're not qualified for the big church. You understand? Yeah, but I got a call on my life to be an apostle. That don't mean you are one. You got to start in the kindergarten. And then you got to pass first grade. Right? And then you got to pass second grade. I know when we first started. I Man, I had preached everywhere. Uh, one of the first meetings I had was in a, uh, I started to say renovated, but it wasn't really renovated, car wash. <laughs> and part of the building was still a car wash. And so when they'd start up, you know, the wand to wash the car, you feel it in the platform. <laughs> I'm trying to preach. 
to 15 people. But I preach to them just like I preach to you. Did you hear me? Two or 20,000. Same way. Same way. But that same church. I'd go back. Usually every year I'd go back to this church. They moved from the car wash. And they got a little bitty building. And then they got a little bigger building. Then they got a little bigger building. And they got a little bigger building. Then they got a shopping center. We grew together. Do you hear that now? We grew together. I preached in so many little hotel ballrooms where the band was playing for a party next door. (laughs) And I'm trying to preach to people in their foot. You can see their feet are patting to the music behind me. (laughs) But you do what you can. You don't sit and go, well, you know, now when we get, you know, offers that are more befitting my call. Well, no, you're a a legend in your own mind. (laughs) And you're wrong. And if you keep trying to operate that way, you'll be frustrated. When your opportunities are just passing you by, passing you by, but they're not big enough for you. And they're not outstanding enough for you. And you're not developing, so you don't qualify for the bigger things. So be willing to do anything. Consider nothing too menial. I mean, we're talking about the Lord's work here, right? I mean, if it's something for the Lord, how could it be too menial, too insignificant? No. Said out loud, I will not live frustrated. I will humble myself. I'm willing to do anything. Amen. And also, you're, are you willing to admit it when you're wrong? Yeah, admit it. 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2 and 4. He said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Let me stop right here. How would that have left the hearers? What would they have been impressed with? His eloquence, his ability, his intelligence. He said it wasn't that way, but it was with what? In demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Thank you, Lord. Had a fellow tell me the other day, he was from a traditional denominational background that didn't believe in speaking in tongues and being filled with the spirit and that kind of thing very good people don't get me wrong but uh here in this building i guess what not long after we first got here he was brave enough we called for people and he came down to the front and i laid hands on him he got filled and started speaking in tongues <laughs> well they didn't do that where he came from and he's a preacher and uh he went back to preach and i mean the very next thing People came around and they said, what happened to you? He didn't talk in tongues. He didn't say anything about it. He just preached. And he said, what? He said, man, you preach with power. He said, you got power you didn't have before. He said, man, you, you get to preaching it about knocks us off the chair. He said, what happened to you? He said, you really want to know? Because <laughs> see, they didn't believe in that. I see, it's sad because people, they want the power, but... Ah, no, tongues now, uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. Well, sorry. (laughs) They go together. 
don't they? But uh, that's what he's saying here with demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Faith in the power of God. Say that out loud. I have faith in the power of God. So yet we have faith in God, but there are several phrases in the scripture that are very specific. For instance, it talks about having faith in the blood. We are to specifically have faith in the blood of the Lamb. And we are to have faith in the power of God. The Bible talked about in the last days there would be people who would have a form of godliness, but they would deny what? The power. See, well, what is that? The miracles. The miracle working power that's going, well, now that's passed away. We don't believe in that. Not us. We believe in the power. Power to heal. Power to save. Power to feel. Power to deliver. Oh, I'm so excited that we have answers in him. You hear about this brother that testified? His life had been destroyed by gambling and now he's free. We've seen that again and again. People with drugs, I don't care what kind of addiction it might be, there is power in God to set you free. What no man could do and what no drug or program could do, God can do. The power of God can do. Hallelujah. I know I had years ago in healing school, I had a uh, a man who was a surgeon, renowned surgeon, very successful in his field, but... He worked night and day, and they have such such easy access to drugs. And he started using some stuff here to keep him awake and using some stuff. And over a period of years, man, he got in the vice grip of drug addiction. And he had been in and out of chemical dependency as soon as put himself in there. He'd messed up his marriage. He's messed up his relationship with his kids. And he finally, as a last resort, came to the ministry there. Brother Hagin's ministry. And wound up with me out there. And we began to talk about the power of God. <laughs> Nothing's too hard for the power of God. He stayed with me for two weeks, I think it was. And uh, on the last day of the last week, we laid hands on people. And we preached that day and, and got folk ready and laid hands on him. And he told me later, when I laid hands on him, he said it felt like a band just snapped from off of his head. He said it felt almost a physical feeling to him. He said it just felt like a band snapped because we believed God and commanded him to be free from all of that in Jesus' name. And he said he felt it when it left him. And he talked to me years later. He had not used any more drugs and was so touched by what Jesus did for him. He was going out on mission trips and he was helping people when he could. And God had restored his family. You know, something else had happened that day. He had fractured a foot and had it in a cast. And God healed that thing instantly. And the swelling went down. Man, he got a double portion, didn't he? I mean, he got set free and, and got healed. And he's a doctor. He knew what was wrong with it. And he came the next day with a shoe on. <laughs> How many have faith in the power of God? Because, yeah, but this is so awful. Yeah, but compared to the power of God, it's nothing. What's greater than the power of God? God's power can free you from anything. 
heal you from anything. Restore you from anything. If you believe. Well, in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, turn over there, just a few pages. Let's look at this. He talked about the demonstration of the Spirit. 12.7 says this, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The what? Manifestation. The previous verse said demonstration. Demonstrate. Here it says manifest. If you look up the words, they mean about the same thing. It means to reveal or to show or to make known. Now there are two things we talked about the last couple of times. And I want to remind you of them. They're so important. In talking about the moving of the Spirit. When He moves, what is He doing when He moves? Two main things that He does. One, He manifests the Word. We read scriptures like Mark 16 where He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel, you know. And after He was taken up, they did. They went everywhere preaching. And the Lord worked with them, confirming the Word with signs following. Well, the Spirit of God then was manifesting, wasn't he? They'd preach on healing, and the Spirit of God, when people believe it, he'd manifest healing. You preach on prosperity, when people believe it, the Spirit of God manifests prosperity. Whatever it is you're talking about, he is the manifester of the Word. And just like he was hovering over the face of the deep, and when the Word of God was spoken in power and in faith, he moved. He hovers over the mass of humanity on this planet right now. And when somebody believes and speaks the word of God in faith and power, he moves. I said he moves. He moves. And it doesn't have to be a church service. He'll move in your kitchen. He'll move in your car. Right? When you speak the word in faith and in power, there will be a manifestation. There will be a demonstration Not just of anything that crosses your mind. Of the word. Of the word. That's why we ought to read our chapter. That's why we ought to come just like we're doing right now. And get these books open. And and look at them. And feed on them. Because this is what he can manifest. In our life. Now secondly. Do you remember what else we said? When the spirit of God is moving. He manifests the word and moves. What else does he do? He magnifies or glorifies Jesus. Which is really, we said the same thing. He is the Word. Right? The Spirit of God magnifies, glorifies Jesus. You're right here in 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at this. Now verse 1, he said, Concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. 1 Corinthians 12, 1. You know you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now here he is talking about prophecy. He's not just talking about people talking. Like I said before, you could find somebody drunk, you know, in the gutter. And wake them up and say, hey, I'll give you 20 bucks if you'll say Jesus is Lord. 
They can say it. Doesn't mean it's by the Spirit of God. He's talking about people prophesying. People speaking by inspiration of a spirit. And he said that if somebody's supposed to be speaking by inspiration, by the unction of the Spirit, and they say Jesus is accursed, he said it is not the Holy Ghost. I mean, that should seem obvious to us, but don't let it rush past you. There's such a truth here. We're talking about the moving of the Spirit. And that nobody's going to speak by inspiration, by prophecy, and say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Ghost. An evil spirit is not going to inspire somebody to speak about Jesus' lordship or to glorify Jesus at all. And the Holy Spirit would never inspire someone to speak anything slightly or evil of Jesus. Right? Remember we talked about this. The scripture said when the Spirit of God has come, He won't speak of Himself. But He'll say what He hears. And he glorified, he said, he'll take of the things of mine, Jesus, and show them unto you. The Spirit of God magnifies Jesus, glorifies Jesus all the time. Can you say amen? Now, this is important. Don't think you know all there is to know about this. Are you hooked with me? If the Spirit of God is moving, two things are going to be happening we know. What? He's manifesting the word. What else is he doing? He's magnifying. He's glorifying Jesus. Which is really like I said. Saying the same thing. Magnifying Jesus. Go to Revelation please. The book of Revelation. And the 19th chapter. Revelation 19. And 10. Revelation 19.10 said, I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, See that you do it not. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. The what? Testimony of who? Of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Say that out loud, that last phrase, please. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, prophecy is important. Speaking in tongues is important. You know, James talks about the tongue being an unruly member. And if you control your tongue... You control your whole body, and it's like the bit in the horse's mouth. It's like the rudder on the ship. You control it. We'd say today, it's like the steering wheel. Wherever you turn your tongue, you turn your life. Most folk don't believe it. If they did, they'd talk differently. Life and death's in the power of your words, what you say, your tongue. But can you see, if you're in control of that tongue, you're in control of your life. And when you get filled with the Spirit, what's the first thing that happens? The sign that you are yielding to Him is that you're yielding your tongue to Him. And if you're yielding your tongue to Him, then you know you're well on your way to yielding your whole life. Did you hear me now? 
Some say, well, now, Brother Keith, you're starting into that tongues business. I don't know that I believe that. Well, we do. And don't get upset with us. And there's no pressure on you, but you don't want to miss out. It was a time, I was a Christian for years that didn't speak in tongues. I've been a Christian for many more years. Who does? I can personally testify. With is better. Much. Much. And it is yielding your tongue is the entrance into yielding into many other things. It's the doorway into the supernatural move of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And you can see Paul, who had such a move of the Spirit in his life. Remember, he said, I speak with tongues more than all of you. And that Corinthian bunch was a tongue-talking bunch. And you know, it'd do us well to remind ourselves that these letters were written to tongue-talkers. The church at Ephesus, tongue-talkers. Colossians, Philippians, Corinthians, double-tongue-talkers. Right? They're tongue-talkers. And uh, it's for us. And if you don't believe it, don't get aggravated at me or somebody else. Get in this book for yourself. Don't don't accept what somebody else said about it. Get in this book. Prove it to yourself. And, you know, if you'll be open, you'll see. God will help you to begin to yield your whole life to the Spirit of God. And it starts with your tongue. But now speaking in tongues and interpreting according to the Scripture is the equal of prophesying. I really could have said it the other way around. Prophesying is equal to tongues and interpretation. Well, both of them are speaking by inspiration. Right? Not just talking off the top of your head. Not talking out of your intellect. But speaking out of your spirit. Prophesying is just like speaking in tongues. Except you understand it. And it's not something you rehearsed. It's not something you planned. It comes fresh out of your spirit. It's not something you try to hear words and then you repeat them. Somebody says, well, how do you know what to say? You don't. It's by faith. How do I know what comes next? You don't. By faith. You just keep speaking. And because of that, a lot of people have thought, and rightly so, that in the move of the Spirit, then we have prophesying. And there is a truth to that. But a lot of meetings then have degenerated into personal prophecy meetings. Where the primary thing is that people prophesying to each other. And uh, somebody say, are you against that? You don't believe in that? No, no, I know God uses people. He speaks through people to other people, sometimes individuals. I know that. I've been involved in that many times. But let me tell you tonight how you can discern between what's flesh and what's the Spirit of God. What did this verse right here say? What is the Spirit of prophecy? The true Spirit of prophecy. The testimony of what? The testimony of Jesus. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And as such... There is no falseness in him at all. And as such, there is no flattery in him at all. Everybody say, no flattery. No flattery. And one reason that wrong prophecy has become prevalent in many places is because carnal people 
respond to flattery. Carnal people respond to flattery. Flattery has a strong pull on your flesh. Any, anybody's flesh. In the beginning, do you see how it worked? I mean, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve, they are not dumb. They are brilliant. And the enemy is out there. And what does he say? No, no, no. You won't really die. When you eat, you'll be like gods. What is that? What's he trying to do? Well, now, is that is that glorifying God? What is it glorifying? Them. Did you see this? Glorifying them. Let me, you know, I could tell you this in different words, but go back to the book of Acts. Let's just look at this just a moment. When the Spirit of God manifested, Acts 2, do we see the Spirit move in Acts 2? No question. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord. And we've already talked about that. That's a key to the moving of the Spirit. Suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as a fire set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So now here, instead of saying it like this, is this a move of the Spirit? When the Spirit moves, people get filled. Right? Can you see this? Among other things. And begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under earth. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded because they heard every man speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled. And verse 8, how do we hear every man in our own tongue? And it mentions all the different languages, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Libya, Cyrene. Verse 11, get this now. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues. What? How wonderful we are? How wonderful we're going to be? No, what? The wonderful works of God. That's what they were saying in tongues. Well, can you see the source of this? When the Spirit of God is speaking, Jesus is going to be magnified. He's going to be glorified. Right? Not flesh, but Jesus. And the Word's going to be manifested. Well, Jesus is the Word. Now keep that in mind over in the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter, these guys have been beaten because of this miracle. And in verse 23, they lifted up their voice and they began to pray. And notice verse 24, they said, Lord, you are God. You've made heaven and earth and the sea. And they quoted scripture. And verse 27, of a truth against your holy child, Jesus, whom you have anointed. Uh, Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, were gathered together. Verse 29, now Lord behold their threatenings and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done. What? By the name of your holy child Jesus. 
And then what happened? Man, the Spirit of God moved. Place was shaken where they were assembled. And see, again, we see with the move of the Spirit, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Now, this is so different than so many folks would have been. These guys are in trouble with the authorities. They've been physically hurt. And most people would come back and pray about their ministry. Oh God, you got to help us. Lord, what are we going to do? I just don't know. But what they pray? God, get glory to Jesus. I mean, let the signs and the wonders and miracles happen. The healings, why? In the name. To the glory. Go, oh, can you see this? To magnify Jesus. Friend, there's a subtle thing. I talked about this some last week, but I just didn't feel like I quite got through with it. Again and again, when prophecy goes off, you'll hear these kind of things. People will call people out and they'll prophesy to them about how great they're going to be. Did you hear me? How great their ministry is going to be. I've seen people call out even children and tell them, you know, your ministry, God's going to use you. You know, where whole denominations have failed, he's going to use you and you're going to be greater than the apostle Paul. I start shaking my head. Did you hear me now? Because that is magnifying this flesh. And the Spirit of God doesn't do that. But see, people love that. And so people gather around that hoping I get called and told how great I am. And how great I'm going to be. And how strong my anointing. And how big my call. And how far I'm going to be used. And how great. And how great. And how great. And it's not the Spirit of God. It's people playing with spiritual things. If you want to know how it works, read the book of Acts. Let me give you an example. Paul gets a personal prophecy. (laughs) How great things he's going to suffer for the Lord's name's sake. And he's got to bear testimony. Before kings and Gentiles, did he go away feeling, whoo, I'm something. Ah, uh-uh, he went to think, oh, glory to God. <laughs> I'm going to get used, yeah. But it's for whose glory? Oh, can you see this, friends? Can you see the test, the real spirit of the true spirit of God prophecy is what? According to the Bible, Revelation 19, it is what? The testimony Of Jesus. Not to tell you and me how big we're going to be. And how great our ministry is going to be. And how big our anointing is. (laughs) Well some folk didn't care for that. Prove me wrong from the Bible. Don't take my word for it. Prove me wrong. I'm telling you. This is how people get off. And because of the nature of the flesh. People's flesh love to be flattered. Tell me how great I am. Tell me how big I'm going to be. Tell me what a great man of God. What a great woman of God. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. But it ain't about you. And it ain't about me. Did you hear me? Our honor is him getting glory. If he gets glorified, that is our honor. 
Oh, can you hear me? Do you see this? That is our glory. It was our honor to be used so that he got glory. And man, when you get this in your spirit and you see it right, you begin to realize that's what everything's about. Right? How well our church does. How well my business does. My healing in my body. It's all about him getting glory. Oh, can you see it? How well my kids do. It's not so I can be a proud daddy. It's so Jesus can get glorified. Right? Boy, y'all sure did a good job, a fine job raising them kids. Don't let them say it three or four times. Did you hear me? You say, hey, Jesus helped us. God showed us what to do. The Lord helped us with it, right? And not trying to be humble. That's just truth. That's just reality, which is true humility. Friend, when we have this kind of attitude, go to Philippians, and this will say it better than I can say it in my words. When we get this settled in us, we're going to see stronger and stronger and greater moves of the Spirit of God. Right? But when we're trying to think about how great we're going to be, then we're not in the same flow with Him. Because He didn't come to magnify us. He didn't come. He's not here to glorify us and to manifest our words. How many think this is important? I have no group in mind. I have no specific people, no group in mind. I just, this is not my first rodeo. I didn't start last week. And thank God the Lord has shown us. Some of the things I'm sharing with you, I learned because I made mistakes. I told you that last week. In the beginning days of my, it's a part of being immature. Immature people are selfish. And don't even realize how so. They just think about themselves all the time. They don't mean to. But it's part of growing up. And I know the first several years of my ministry. I prayed so much about my ministry. My call. And if I thought somebody was going to prophesy to me. About my great call in me. Boy I'd light up. Oh yeah. Yeah call me. Call me. Call me. That actually hinders the move of the spirit. Are you with me now? You get a room full of people, the Spirit of God start moving and maybe ministering to people specifically. And sometimes you'll have half the congregation, they don't say it out loud, but they're going, me, 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 prophesy to me. Why? 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 So many times people want you to tell them, you know, how great they are, how great they're going to be. Prophesy to me. Give me a big one. And when you get that activity with all the human spirits doing that, it can actually hinder the move of the Spirit. You're trying to, as a minister, you're trying to be led, and it's like a thousand voices going, me, 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 and you're trying to be led, and it's a distraction. It's static. When our desire ought to be, Lord, whoever needs something, right? Whoever really needs something to your glory. Right? And let everything be done in such a way that you are the most seen, you are the most exalted, you are the most glorified. If people don't even know who are those people, who was that church, who are those preachers, if they don't know, that's fine if they leave impressed with Jesus. Right? 
And when all of us get in one mind about that and one accord about that, then we're already on the same page with the Holy Ghost about magnifying Jesus and manifesting the Word. And you'll see, it's already begun. We'll see stronger and stronger movings of the Spirit of God, not just in our services. And we'll have prophecy, but it'll be right. Did you hear me? And when God starts speaking, we won't all start clamoring, me, 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 and hinder it and shut it down. Are you with me now? And in our own home life, we'll see the same thing. Say it out loud, it's not about me. It's not about me being big. Not about my ministry, my call, my anointing. It's about Jesus. If he's lifted up, if he's glorified, if he's magnified, if people see his goodness, they're moved to repentance. They're drawn to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You don't want people drawn to you because you can't save them. You don't want people drawn to you because you can't heal them. I know uh, <laughs> I used to work in the healing school there at the Hagen Ministry every day. And we had a lot of things happening there. We had people fall off the chair and writhe around like snakes and make noises and convulsions and seizures and all kind of things you know the devil's mean and um, almost invariably what had happened is something like that happened of course it's a big distraction and all the people would look at them and then they'd look at me (laughs) like do something and it took me a while to realize That's not what I need. They're hindering me. I'm not the deliverer. I'm not the savior. I'm not the healer. No man or woman on this earth is. And yet God can use us. He can manifest. The spirit of God can move through us. And manifest through us. But we can't produce it ourselves. Has to come from him. And he took me to this passage. Where are you right now? That's a good place. But go to John. Go to John. And he showed me this. And man, it's helped me ever since. John and the 11th chapter. Here we see the raising of Lazarus from the dead and he was healed. Elsewise, whatever killed him the first time would have immediately killed him again. Right? And his body, whatever had decomposed, was miraculously restored. Did the Spirit of God move in that tomb? Whew. His spirit came back. And notice this. Jesus told him to take the stone away in verse 39. John eleven thirty-nine. He told him if they, he said, didn't I tell you, if you'd believe, you'd see the glory of God. Verse 41 They took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes. He did what? Now put yourself in this place. They're in the cemetery. It'd be like telling them to dig up the coffin. What do you think the people were doing there? 
Just what we talked about. They were looking at the tomb. And then they're looking at him. What are you going to do? Why would you do that? And what did he do? He lifted up his eyes. Oh, do you see this now? And he starts praying. Well, when he did that, what do you think they're doing? Well, now they're thinking about who he's talking to. So what did they do? In effect, they got their eyes off of him. And they're thinking about who he's talking to, the Father. And he said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. And I know that you hear me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it. See, the very text tells you he prayed this prayer for their benefit. Why? That they may believe what? That you, you, you sent me. So we read this whole book. We saw again and again where he said, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. I'm not here for my own glory. I only say what I hear him say. I only do what I see him do. He was always giving the glory to the Father, giving the glory to the Father, right? And the Spirit of God's always moving. Oh, can you see this? And it was not this fake false humility. Oh, no, it's not me. It's the Lord Jesus. Can you discern between the fake and the real? What people really mean is, yeah, I did good, didn't I? But I'm going to be humble and not accept it. No, the truth is you don't deserve it. You didn't do it. It'd be a lie for you to take it. Did you hear me now? No, in the middle of this. I believe he is ready from before the time they rolled the stone away. But they're all sitting there staring at him. So he says, Father, starts praying. Thank you that you hear me. I know you hear me all the time. But I'm saying this for these folks that are standing right here. (laughs) So that they know you sent me. I didn't just come here myself today. You sent me. And what happens? Very next verse, verse 43. He's in the middle of saying that. When he had said it, he, he looked down and said, Lazarus, come forth. We see, they all got their eyes up. They're all thinking about the father. And then, boom. <laughs> oh, do you see this? And if you are going to have anointing in your life, people must get their eyes off of you. If you're going to have the move of the Spirit, they got to get their eyes off of you. You can't come, tell them how great of an apostle you are and how big your ministry and your anointing and how... It's a subtle thing. Sure, you can. You have to use the word I and me and my sometime, but watch why you're saying it and what you're drawing attention to. My vision, my experience, my walk with the Lord, my prayer, my this, my this. You can actually undo and hurt the anointing on your life. Because the Holy Spirit is not here to magnify you and to glorify you and to just manifest your words. Do you see this? Close your eyes. In fact, just go ahead and stand up. Close your eyes. Lift your hand. Oh, Father, we worship you. We exalt you. We magnify you. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge 
by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.